Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Wayne. Well, good morning. Feel free to have a seat. Thank you so much for the warm welcome uh, back to the neighborhood church. As Pastor Wayne had mentioned, uh, I spent a lot of time here in the past. Uh, I, I went to college here in the city and was on staff here, and then I came back for a second stint between 2010 and 2015, and I love the neighborhood church, and so it's good to be here with you today. Um, Wayne mentioned my wife, Nicole, our two daughters, Zara and Jovi. They aren't able to be here with us this morning, but they send their regards. And funny enough, Zara's picked up this little habit. She's four years old, where uh, I think during the pandemic time, when I had to leave the house, she found that kind of funny. So she came up to me once and offered to pray for me. And uh, so every time I go off to speak now, she comes and offers to pray for me. So I'm prayed up, and I'm ready to speak, and I'm looking forward to just sharing uh, God's word with you this morning. And uh, as I said, it's just great to be here today. Um, I was chatting with Pastor John a couple weeks ago uh, when he asked me to come and share. And I asked him if you guys were in any kind of series or what he wanted me to talk about. And he said, just share what God's placed on your heart. And so this morning, that's what I plan to do. And so let's get into it today. Um, Today, I want to look at some scripture that I think that can guide us how to live for Jesus in the midst of a pandemic time. Okay? Now, let's be real. Almost every one of us in this room has experienced some level of inconvenience, right? Over the last five months, six months, we've all experienced some level of change in our life. I mean, look around the room right now. This is not normal. Um, And everyone's experienced some sort of inconvenience. For myself personally, in the middle of March, I had plans to take a five-week parental leave. And uh, I, I took it, and our plan was to head out to Alberta, come through here to see some family, head north to Manitoba, and I was going to treat it as a vacation time. And we were just going to travel around and have fun. On the first day of my time off, I went to the Winnipeg Jets game in Winnipeg. They won. Final home game for them. On Wednesday, I went to a concert. My favorite band came through. And it was the next day a basketball player got sick, and all of a sudden... The world had never looked the same. Everything started shutting down. Everything started changing. Sports leagues were folding. And I remember during that time just feeling really inconvenienced because we had all these plans to go places, and we ended up basically just, I ended up basically just sitting in my basement for five weeks, right? Had a great family time at the end of it. But in the beginning, I felt very inconvenienced by this. Think about it. Each one of us knows people who probably lost work or where hours have been affected, or where workplaces have been affected, finances have been hurt. There's been a level of inconvenience that's come with this pandemic that we find ourselves in. Some of you like vacations, right? Some of you probably plan to go somewhere hot. Some of you probably plan to leave the country to go see family, and that's been cut short during this time. Some of us, and I'm pointing to myself, had to really learn how to cook during this time, okay? Uh, I'm the kind of person who likes to go out every so often, and I've been married 13 years, but you know what? This time really stretched me. Thank goodness for the barbecue. But, you know, some of us have had to stay home. Some of us have had to stay away from families, I think for me, the toughest thing was keeping my girls away from, like, their grandparents for a while. And, uh, and, and my, my daughter asked me why she can't go see her friends every day when this all started. Thankfully, things have improved a little bit. But at the same time, we still don't live in normal. I think for many of us, we wish that we could just go to bed tonight and tomorrow we could wake up and start shaking hands with people again, right? 
and that things just feel a little bit more normal like they had. And so there's been challenges, no doubt. I'd be remiss to stand up here and act like this time hasn't been challenging or difficult in any way. But what has this time of pandemic taught me is another thing in itself, okay? Because here's what it's taught me. It's taught me so much how much people matter. It's taught me so much about how much family matter, how much friends matter, how much you just miss your coworkers and your acquaintances and just running into people I know at the bookstore or at the record store. It's taught me about, you know, even just those conversations with coworkers that used to annoy me before March, right? Because, you know, I was probably working at something and someone popped in the office to talk to take up 20 minutes. You know, I started longing for those kind of things. I started missing those kind of things. When I got back to my job as pastor in a church in Winnipeg, I should have mentioned that, at Soul Sanctuary, after this whole thing started, after my parental leave, I remember calling about 100 people and just having conversations with them, asking them how they're doing, how can we pray with you? And the thing I kept hearing for them was I just miss people. I miss running into my coworkers. I miss those little conversations down the hall. You know, people matter. I've learned to slow down. I've learned to enjoy the little things in life. I've learned that life doesn't consist in a 40-hour work week in and of itself. I miss the everyday things, shopping at the mall, going for coffee with a friend, going to a hockey game. Those things are all things that we've, we've learned to, to discover in this time. They're very valuable to us. And this pandemic has taught us about what's valuable, I think, to an extent, and what is of most importance importance, even though perhaps it's thrown off our schedules and our routines. If you're anything like me, when your routine gets disrupted, it's difficult on you. It stresses you out a little bit. You need to have some patience. You need to use the fruit of the Spirit when that happens. But this morning, I'd like, to, I'd like us to look at two stories today that I think can give us some direction, thank you, and really some teaching on how we can serve God in our present situation. And so um, today, I'm going to start off by talking about the prophet Jonah. How many of you are familiar with the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, right? Now, Jonah has that title as that prophet who ran away from God's call. And fair enough, you know, all throughout this book, he's reluctant. He doesn't want to do the things that God wants him to do. Um, When God called Jonah to go and preach his word to Nineveh, he wanted nothing of it. Because these people, the Ninevites that God wanted him to go and preach to, were his enemies. They were people he didn't like. They upset him. They angered him. He wanted, you know, nothing to do with helping them. They had done horrible things to him and to his nation. And so Jonah wanted no part in them hearing God's word or in their potential repentance or in their potential restoration. If anything, Jonah probably would rather just drop a bomb on them in judgment, right? You know, he, 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 he would probably rather laugh at their destruction than help them turn around and come to know God. And so when God asks Jonah to go and preach to them, Jonah runs away, he jumps on a boat, and he heads for a completely different destination. You see, apparently there's some place in Jonah's mind where you could just escape the presence of God, where you could run away from God, and he'll leave you alone, he'll let you do your thing. But God had different plans here, and we all know the story. And so let's look at Jonah chapter 1 and read a couple verses this morning. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. 
the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And so Jonah has found himself on a boat heading to a destination where God has told him to go the opposite way. And there's this storm that's broken out. And Jonah knows in his mind that he's the reason for this. But he's not concerned about it. Or he's really not concerned about those who were on the boat with him that day. And he, he, he needs some shut-eye. He's tired. He wants to catch up on Z's. And there's this violent storm that's threatening the ship. And rather than help, he's kind of doing some self-care here. And he just goes down below deck and goes to sleep. And he wants to sleep through this. And he wants to just relax while this is happening. And here is interesting when you think about this, right? Because he's hiding under the boat. He's not concerned about what awaits everyone. But he's just glad that he doesn't have to go preach to that nation that he despises. And here's the irony here in regards to Jonah when you think about this story. Is that God sent his prophet, right, to the pagans to point the pagans towards himself. And yet now on this boat, as the storm breaks out, it's the pagans pointing the prophet back towards his God. And they're asking him to pray to your God. Call upon him. Maybe he'll spare us. Maybe, maybe things will work out for us. And they can't believe that he would just be so irresponsible as to sleep through this, rather than try to help the common good of everybody who was on board that day. And what is clear about Jonah immediately is this, is that his private faith here is of no public good. His private faith here is of no public good. And that's not a place you want to find yourself in. You see, something is wrong when our faith in God does not affect those around us. It does not affect even the common good. Our faith in God is not something that we just keep to ourselves and talk about only with people that we like or that, who are like us. But we have a responsibility, as Jesus said, to let our light shine so that others would see our good deeds and that God would receive praise. Faith isn't just something that we hide and that we keep to ourselves, but we give it away. We give it away to others. And in some ways, I do believe the world has a right to judge us sometimes on our commitment to the common good. Because Jesus said believers shouldn't hide their faith, but they should make it visible in good deeds. And so when Jonah could be helping the common good here on this boat, he's busy doing his own thing, which in this case is catching up on sleep. And surely he has the right to have a nap. No one's debating that. No one's saying he doesn't have a right to have a little sleep, right? But is it a benefit to the common good of the people on board with him that day? for him to be sleeping in this moment? Is it a way to love others, or is he simply just thinking about himself? You see, here's what I learned when I look at the life of Jonah. The lack of mercy in Jonah's attitude and actions towards other people reveals that he was a stranger in his own heart to the mercy and grace of God. That's what I learn about when I read about Jonah. And so with that in mind, that's kind of a tough story to start on, right? With that in mind, let's look at a different story in the New Testament that I think just will tie this together very well for us and give us some, some practical application today. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25 to 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Now, I'm going to give you some background and context here. The, this expert in the law isn't asking Jesus this question because he wants to actually learn something, okay? He's actually got an agenda. He's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to trick Jesus into saying something wrong so that he can have a reason to accuse him and punish him, right? This is not a, coming from a pure heart or a pure motive at all, this expert in the law. And so there was no desire to learn here. This question was asked solely to get Jesus to say the wrong thing and get him in trouble. And so the expert of the law gives his answer, and Jesus replies to him, do this and you will live. And it's over. And the answer's given. And that should be enough. But look at verse 29. Look what happens in verse 29 here. But he, the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now he's about to open up a can here, okay? He, he, he should have just left it where he was at, but he asks Jesus, he wants to justify himself. Basically, he wasn't content with how broad that answer was, love your neighbor as yourself. He wanted to limit it. He wanted to justify it. He wanted to bring it down a little bit because it was a little bit too broad. Um, you know, neighbor is a broad subject here, and so he asks, and who is my neighbor? In other words, this guy was looking for a loophole. This guy was looking for a way to not necessarily have to love everyone around him, but like, who is my neighbor? Who, who do I have to love? What is the minimum amount of neighbor love that's required in order to, to, to please God in this situation? That's the real thing he's asking here when he brings this up a second time. And so in response to this, Jesus begins to tell a story. And let's read it. In reply, Jesus said, in reply to the question, and who is my neighbor? Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do Likewise, here in this story, Jesus is taking the saying, love thy neighbor, and he's about to give it the most radical definition possible. To them, in this context, this would have been way above more than what they would have ever thought he would have been demanding of them. 
He's about to give it the most radical definition possible because immediately we have two religious guys who walk down that road, the priests and the Levites, and their credentials spoke for themselves. The priest would have been a descendant of Aaron who would have had priestly responsibilities in the temple. And the priest would have been a prominent member in that society. And what did the priest do? The priest walks upon this person who's injured, possibly dead, and decides, whoa, and passes by on the other side which is really a way of saying that he wanted nothing to do with helping this fellow out. The occupation of a priest, here's a little background so maybe we can understand this a little bit better. The occupation of a priest required strict adherence to rules of ceremonial purity because God's holiness required all who would approach him to be holy. And so if a priest came in contact with someone who was unclean, or especially someone who was dead, because the person on the road that day very well could have been dead, he would potentially become unclean by having contact, okay? And he would have to go and undertake a long cleansing process before returning to his priestly duties. The bath he would have to take was called a mikvah. It was a a one-week process. And it would have kept him from entering the temple and doing his job because he came into contact, possibly, with someone who was dead or unclean. You following me on this? And so that's what was happening there. This priest had a choice between inconveniencing himself or helping the stranger. If he helped the man, then that potentially could make him unclean, and then he'd have to go through a long and embarrassing process of ritual washings to be made ceremonially clean again. This would throw off his day for sure. But Jesus' point here rings true for all people in all times, and it's just this, friends. One's spirituality or religion should never become an excuse to avoid opportunities to show compassion. Amen? We are not to avoid loving other people because of concern for ourselves. And so the second religious guy walks down that road, the Levite. The Levites assisted the priests. They were temple servants, and they were also members of the religious elite at the time. And once again, he too sees the person and continues walking, doesn't even bother to stop and help. Because once again, he too would become ceremonially unclean and he'd have to go through the hassle of having this long process of ritual cleansing in order to regain his sanctified status to be able to serve in the temple again. And so what it all adds up to with these two is that they cared more about their own spiritual status than about another person's basic needs. And that's religion at its worst. The irony here is that the righteous requirements of their roles were designed to honor God and draw people's attention to him. But these religious leaders failed to do that. They showed concern for themselves instead of concern for the half-dead man on the road, all the while pretending that their lack of compassion was simply a reflection of their obedience to God. You don't see the disconnect there. And so these two religious leaders, they walked by this man, didn't even lift a finger, didn't even think about helping. But then a Samaritan comes along. And we need to know some background here to fully appreciate, to fully understand how Jesus shocked his audience that day. (laughs) This was not what they signed up for. This was not what they bargained for. Samaritans and Jews were the bitterest of enemies. Did not like each other. Samaritans were seen as Jews as racial half-breeds and religious heretics. 
That was the context of their relationship in these days. And so there was great animosity between them. And so, in fact, it's pretty safe to assume that many who were listening to Jesus' story that day, they would have just assumed that the Samaritan was responsible for the robbery to begin with. And they likely would have thought, well, this is where Jesus is going to take this. But a Samaritan, you couldn't say a worse name in this story for the audience that Jesus was talking to. How many of you enjoy sports? Anyone? How many of us have a favorite team, right? I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan. We're out now, okay? I'm a New York Jets fan in football. I know, I pick terrible teams, okay? But often when you have a favorite team, that usually means you have a worse team. Right now, for me, that's the Calgary Flames. Sorry, Paul. (laughs) You know, it's the New England Patriots for me on on a daily basis. Normally, when you have a favorite, it usually means you have a least favorite. I don't even have to bring up Winnipeg and Saskatchewan rivalries here, right, for us to understand this. There's a rival. There's an enemy. And for the Jewish people in this time, when Jesus is telling this story, you couldn't say more of an enemy to the Jewish people than the word Samaritan. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. Great animosity. This was an enemy if there ever was one. And look at all the Samaritan did for this guy. He did a lot for him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put the man on his donkey, took him to the inn, cared for him on his own dime, on his own money. And not just that, but now he gives the innkeeper extra money to make sure he's cared for, and he offers full reimbursement of any extra expense that happens while he's away. This is just incredible, the way he stepped out to love his neighbor here, to help this guy. And Jesus asks them the question, who was a neighbor? Who loved their neighbor here? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do what? Well, go and be the one who is merciful with others. You go and be that person. That is what I want you to do. That is who I want you to be. And there are people all around us today, right now in 2020, where we find ourselves right now, who just need a little mercy. Amen? Maybe they've lost jobs. Maybe um, they've had to rearrange their lives. Maybe they've had no access to their family. Maybe this time has just been a real struggle with them and someone's coming to your mind right now as I mentioned that. And there are people right now who could just use a little mercy, who could just use a little grace in their lives. What's my role as a Christian today? My role is to give mercy. My role is to be a neighbor, even to those who you may not agree with, even to those who you may not like a whole lot, okay? Let's just be honest here. You may not even like them, but give mercy. Mercy on your city, on your friends, on those who are dealing with anxiety, on those needing work, on those struggling in these pandemic times. Mercy with those who are hurting, with those who are angry. Mercy with those who are skeptical. Mercy with those who have been hurt, ridiculed, marginalized, forgotten. Jesus, in this story, redefined the definition of the word neighbor for everybody in every nation for every following generation. It would never be the same again. You could look at the world and not even church places, and you could see the term Good Samaritan being used everywhere. There are charitable organizations in in our continent that have nothing to do with faith that use this term Good Samaritan. This is where it comes from. This is where this all stemmed from. 
You see, from this point forward in history, no one would have, to, would have the freedom to define neighbor in terms of their location alone. No one would dare limit their definition of neighbor to just people who were just like themselves. The shock and awe of his audience that Jesus expanded the definition of neighbor beyond where they lived, beyond simply just Jewish people who he was speaking to this day, beyond a single ethnicity, but most shocking of all, and I think something we miss because we're an English-speaking people in the 20th century, is that Jesus expanded the definition of neighbor even beyond the Jewish scriptures here. And he did it with one perfectly timed and perfectly crafted question, and it's this, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Here is what Jesus was really asking that day. Here's the question that the audience literally heard in that moment. Which of these three loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength by loving a neighbor as himself? And the expert in the law wasn't looking for this. He got more than he was looking for when Jesus told this story because he had an agenda and he replies to Jesus to this question, well, obviously it's the one who had mercy on him. And he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He wouldn't even utter that word. They were, there was such animosity. They were such enemies that all he could say was, well, obviously it was the one who had mercy on him. And he had to describe him because it was just too much. This was so over the top for a Jewish person in these days to even think about giving a Samaritan credit. And so he said, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus likely grins, I can imagine, and says to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Be the Samaritan. And I don't think any applause was given to Jesus at this answer, okay? They were likely just stunned and in silence because something in this moment in the world had changed because neighbor love no longer had geographical or ethnic boundaries. Neighbor love was as big as the world. The days of neighbor love being restricted to people who are just like me, those days were coming to an end. Why? Because very soon after this discussion, Jesus would become a neighbor to everyone, everywhere, and every generation. He would demonstrate his own love for me and his love for you by stooping down to heal the wounds and sins of this world. Because all of our problems, when we think about it, all of our challenges stem from sin. They're a result of sin. Each one of us has an issue, and it's called sin. And Jesus would be the Samaritan for you and for me. And when he did that, the world changed, and neighbor love would never be confined to just a neighborhood. And it would cost him more than two nights stay in a hotel, but it would cost him his life. And this shift for us is just this, is that the basis of Christian behavior is the sacrificial love of Jesus that we experience. We live out of that. We don't just love because the Bible tells us to love, but we love because God the Father through the Son has loved us. And we have experienced this. And that's an amazing thing. 
And we lose our excuses after that because oftentimes I think we could try to find reasons to point to why we shouldn't have to help people. We may think to ourselves, well, you know, they put themselves in that position. They're the ones who got themselves there. Or, you know, it was just their own laziness that had them there. It was their selfishness. They were careless. They were flippant, et cetera, et cetera. I think every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, has probably been tempted to think this way at some point or another. But for the follower of Jesus, what is most true is this, is that Christ found each and every one of us in the same condition. Our spiritual bankruptcy was due to our own sin, our own selfishness, our own carelessness, our own laziness. Yet he came, and this was good news, <laughs> he came and gave us what we most needed. He came and gave us what we most needed. And so in a very real way, this is also our story. According to the scripture, we are all like that man dying on the road. Spiritually, we are dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 tells us. But when Jesus entered our world, he came down our road. He came down our road. And he didn't pass by on the other side, thankfully. And he didn't just continue walking. And he didn't think of every excuse as to why he didn't have to help us. And even though the scripture said we are enemies of God in our own sin at the time, he was moved by compassion for our plight. By our condition. And he came to us. And he saved us, not merely at the risk of his life like the Samaritan did, but literally at the cost of his life. And we worshiped him this morning. And we praised him this morning, as we should for everything that he's done for us. On the cross, he paid a debt that we could never pay ourselves. And we didn't have to do anything to earn that. He just did it for us because of love. Before you can give this neighbor love friends to other people, you first have to receive it. You first have to experience it. You first have to know it. You have to know how much God has loved you. You have to recognize that you had nothing to offer, that you were in that same state, that you were lying on a road, you were helpless. And the way God loves you, that needs to affect the way in which we love others. Only if you see that you have been saved graciously by someone who actually owes you the opposite, will you go out into the world looking to help absolutely anyone in need? That's what I hear when I read a story like this. You see, once we receive this ultimate radical neighbor love from Jesus, we can start to be the neighbors that the Bible calls us to be. In 1 John 4:11, we read this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, that's the starting point, we also ought to love one another. Under the new covenant, we do not love God and our neighbors necessarily. Under the new covenant, we love God, and one of the ways in which we do it is by loving our neighbors. That's an expression of our worship. That's an expression of our devotion to him. And so what do you see today as you walk down the roads of life? And these, in, in these interesting, in these pandemic times, do we see the things around us as an opportunity? Do we see this time as maybe an offer? Or perhaps are we seeing things around us right now as simply as an inconvenience? Simply as an opposition? You see, 
there was a different way that these three guys reacted on the road. Two saw an inconvenience. Two saw an opposition. One saw an opportunity. One saw an offer. Where the other two religious guys, their love seemed to be conditional, the Samaritan's love was unconditional. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to stop. In fact, it was likely risky for him to stop there because what if the robbers were, were nearby? But he counted the cost. And Jesus said he was a neighbor. He was the neighbor to the one who was hurting that day. And so at the end of the day, two guys saw an inconvenience and one saw an opportunity. Three came upon one person. Two saw an inconvenience. They saw an interruption. They saw a trouble. They saw a delay. They saw a pause. How many of you feel like we're in a pause right now? That's the opposite of what I want to deal with right now. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to do that. I don't particularly even like that person. And yet one person walking down that road saw the opposite and saw an opportunity and saw an offer. And I'm praying, church, that's how we see the world right now. I'm praying that's how we see those around us. My hope is this, is that, is that how we see those around us, we look at how we can also be merciful to people today. I pray that God would help us to see, help us not to see, sorry, help us to see the inconveniences or interruptions or, or pauses that we're experiencing. I hope he helps us see them as opportunities. As a call. How about this, an open door? Even better yet, an invitation. How do we see our city? How do we see our world that we live in right now? Are we seeing everything as inconvenience and, op and opposition, or do we see opportunities? And the truth is, is that it all comes down to recognizing how much God loves you in this. Will we allow the love of God to change our hearts and minds in our current times so that we can see things as an offer? Don't get me wrong. It's been inconvenient. I get that. Because no doubt things have changed. And we've all experienced interruptions. We've all experienced delays. I talked about work, jobs, plans, schedules, thoughts, routines, church. Look around the room right now. Right? Our friends, our summers, so much is halted. Even with the reopening of things, we still are nowhere near our normal and what we're used to. I remember the moment when COVID-19 hit and it was real. And my plans got canceled and it was inconvenient. And I likely sulked for a while, to be honest with you to cope in such an odd time. And in some ways, fair enough. To some extent, we all have to have that moment to do that. But we can't just stay there. Somewhere along this whole thing, God started to nudge me, and he started to tell me, I am still here. I am still wanting none to perish, but all to come to Christ. I am not on pause. God's not on pause right now. So seek me, for there are people to love. And as you seek God, the one thing that happens is you begin to care about what God cares about, and it won't take you long to discover that that's other people. That's all those around you, and Jesus calls them our neighbors. And this moment signaled a shift for how followers of God would live out their faith from this moment on. Because my faith isn't simply just about me and God. It's not just a vertical relationship. Don't get me wrong, that's a huge part of it, and that's of utmost importance. We need to praise, we need to be in prayer, we need to keep that relationship strong. Don't get me wrong, don't hear me wrong today. But, but, but somewhere, now along the lines, God has shown us that now it's very much not just about me and God, but it's about me, God, and other people. And so if lived according to the scriptures, our faith is also stretched horizontally. 
as you begin to love and have mercy on those around you, your neighbors, all people, not just the ones you like, not just the ones who think like you, act like you, vote like you, make decisions like you. Faith is not just vertical, but faith is very horizontal. As you open your heart and your circles and you reach out to others who need Jesus, and Jesus calls these people our neighbors. And so today, I think each of us finds ourselves in a unique spot in this room. Some of us need to seek God. Maybe you felt inconvenienced so much in this time that you've missed the opportunities that God has brought you that are right in front of you. And perhaps you just need to seek him this morning. Maybe someone has come to mind this morning as I've been sharing, someone that you can just love and have mercy on. And maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to just reach out. Perhaps you need to ask God for his help today. Maybe you have a need. Maybe you, you need his help to change your heart. Maybe there's some hurt happening. I don't know everyone's situation. We're all in a unique place. But I know who we bring these things to. Amen? And you've got to bring it to him. Because it's keeping you, perhaps, from reaching out in mercy to those around you. And so will we see this time as an opportunity, as an open door to love people? How will you, live, how will you choose to live when you read a story like this? Three people came upon one need. The priest saw this person as an opposition. He made the decision to limit his love. And my challenge to us is this. Let's not limit our love with people right now. Let's not limit our love to only the people who we like. The priest put a limit on his love. The Levite, he put limits on his time. He, he, he decided that this was an inconvenience. He had places to go. He had a schedule. He had a plan. And sometimes our schedules hold us down a little more than they should. Now, don't get me wrong. Boundaries are important, and I encourage everyone to keep those. But there are some opportunities where we just need to act. And in this case, it was going to take some time to deal with this fellow on the road. But then we had the example of the Samaritan, and he didn't. He had no limit on his love. He decided, my love won't look away in this moment. My love won't walk away. My life will adjust if it has to. My love will cost, and sometimes that's going to cost me. But that's okay, because there are people out there right now who can use a little mercy, who need a little mercy. And the truth is this, is that when you sign up to love Jesus and broken humanity, when you desire to be God's servant, you see people as an offer. You see them as an opportunity. You see them as an invitation, not as an inconvenience and not as an opposition. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me here, and I'm going to read a verse just that will kind of give us something to think about as we close out. 2 Peter 3.9 says this. says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here's what I know today, church. I am so glad that Jesus didn't just see me as an interruption. I'm so glad he never saw me as an inconvenience or an opposition. I'm glad he saw me as an invitation as an opportunity. I'm glad, as the scripture says, he sees us all that way and that he has patience with me. How many are glad for God's patience in your life today? How many know, know that God has very, in a very real way been patient with you? Praise God that he did that for me and praise God that he did that for each of you. And so our call right now is to embrace, I believe it's this, I believe it's to embrace life as an opportunity. What opportunities lie before you this week? What opportunities lie before you in this time? 
Had you perhaps focused solely on the inconvenience of our time that perhaps we've missed an opportunity that's right in front of us? During this pandemic, how can you reach out to someone in need? How can you be a neighbor? How can you love those around us in a time where people need it most? Because I'll say this, okay? Things have gotten inconvenient. I'm not even going to lie about that. But God hasn't stopped moving. God is at work. God is at work in your life. God is at work in the world around us. And you play a part in that. And there are opportunities around us. And what fuels us, friends, what, what's going to make the difference in whether we see inconvenience or opportunity is do we recognize how much God loves us? Do we recognize how much God's been a neighbor to us? Do we recognize what he's done for you and for me? Because when we receive that, when we experience that, that's all the power we need to go out into the world and love others like he loved us. Amen? And so I'm going to leave that with us today. We are the church, and we are going to engage our communities for Jesus Christ. Amen? God bless you. During this time, I just ask everyone just to stand with us. We're going to worship a little bit. We're going to take some time just to allow God to speak to us. However God wants to speak to you this morning based on the passages we read, allow him to minister to you today. Thank you, worship team.